3: The Columbus has returned from searching Quadrant 779X by 534M. Results negative.
4: Have them proceed to the next button. Any word from engineering on our sensors?
3: They're working on them, sir. Still inoperable.
4: What about the transporters?
3: They're still reported
1: unsafe. Ron and Anian.
4: The final frontier. These
1: are the voyages of... The Car Doctor.
5: It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before.
2: Ron and Anian. Are you afraid
6: to talk to your mechanic? Are you afraid to tell them, him or her, everything that could possibly be wrong with the car? Or, you know, your concerns. The car doctor. Chevy Cruises were a great example you know they were they were great if you're you know a fledgling auto technician because there was an awful lot to replace on a continuous basis. Welcome to the radio
2: home of Ron Ananian, the Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in.
6: The garage doors are open, but I am here to take your calls. At 855 560 And now, here's Ronnie. How appropriate that Tom used a little bit of Star Trek in our open today. And uh, we didn't collude on this. It just kind of worked out like that because I told him just minutes before the show, I said, he asked me about a vehicle I was talking to him about in the middle of the week. And he said, how'd you make out? And I said, you know, it's kind of like when Scotty would have to give Kirk warp drive, but he couldn't give him impulse. And Kirk was happy with that because it got him home. Because that's sort of the story of this Jeep. 2016 Jeep Grand Cherokee came into the shop at our automotive this week. New customer. Um, and, man, I feel old because the owner is the niece of a woman I went to high school with. How do you like them apples, right? Small world. I looked at the last name and I said, geez, I, I know this name. I said, you're not really. Oh, yeah, that's my aunt. Oh, good, good. Now I really feel old. So kid's probably 22 years old, and I'm thinking, wow. So, anyway, Jeep's a Jeep, vehicle's a vehicle, job's a job. The problem was, Meredith's Jeep, um, in, in the front of a Jeep radio, right below it, in the little cubby, they, they have what they call a media center. It's got um, a USB-C, a USB-A, and a different type of port, just a data transfer port. If you want to put a memory card in, I think it was for. And then it's got a cigarette lighter next to it. And that all interconnects and interfaces up to the radio. Well, about eight months ago, Meredith had the radio taken out and had an aftermarket radio put in an Apple iPlay or CarPlay radio, whatever the heck it is. You know, and this is my argument against... I, I really worry about aftermarket radio installs. I'm not condemning the entire industry, but I think it has to be done right, and it has to be done so that it interfaces and works with the rest of the systems on the vehicle, because the radio, as Meredith found out, is is an essential part of the system. It, it interconnects everything. When I did an initial scan because i was trying to get the problem okay let me back up the problem with this was the cigarette lighter power port stopped working the usb ports stopped working and the power supply power ports in the console underneath the console and in the very back that would face the passengers in the second seat stopped working boy there's an awful lot to talk about here I scanned it for codes. Why? Why would I hook a scan tool up to a car that had no check engine light on? Because there's still other computers and modules on this vehicle. There's still systems that need to be checked. And sure enough, it came up with a lack of communication to the radio, which I expected. The radio was gone, but it also told me that the install was done badly because there's no communication interface as prescribed. And that could affect future functionality of the system, future software updates of the system. You know, you can't just take a radio out like that. I don't think it's a safe and smart move. It's creating issues, as you're going to hear about in a minute. I went and I looked at this and I said, what's working, what's not? So I have a data port connector. It's a it's a, it's a known good cigarette lighter plug that I use. It's a, it's a female and a male side. I also have some USB-C and A cables that I can plug in. Known good. Known good quality. Known good stuff. You know, we we use it around the shop for testing purposes, and it works. So the first thing I did was just plug into every port. And as it turns out, I could get the rear data ports facing the passenger seat to the rear of the vehicle. They were working. And the cigarette lighter did not, but the power port inside the console did. So I'm sorry. Yeah, the cigarette lighter did not. So you know, I'm I'm kind of backtracking, and I'm saying, why does Meredith say this doesn't? None of this works. And then I looked at the little. She had a plug-in adapter. All right, you know, like a cigarette lighter adapter, where one side plugs into the cigarette lighter. It's that. It's that male side, and then the other side was just a USB-A, that traditional rectangular USB port that we're so used to seeing that the cable would plug into. Problem number one solved. The this adapter was no good. It didn't work anymore. I would plug that into the other two data ports or other two power ports. Couldn't get any voltage out of it. It didn't work, but yet my stuff did. So right off the bat, I solved half the problem in about three minutes because known good, right? Sometimes you need known good, and sometimes it's easier. You can't always do it in the case of if it's a computer, but if it's a USB cable, always go for the obvious. That took out half the equation. In looking at the wiring diagrams, they all came down to either ground 912 or 911. 912, I proved good because I knew the data port at the rear of the vehicle was working once I used my own plug in cables. So that took that out of the equation. And then 911, I knew the ground was good because 911 was the ground for the console power port under the cover. That was working and I had power there. I tested it, I had power and ground. So I knew 911 was good. It went back to a common point. I went through fuses, and it was interesting, typical Jeep uh, setup for fuses. In the PDC, the Power Distribution Center, there was close to 100 fuse choices of varying sizes and shapes, uh, which sort of blew my customer's mind. She was really shocked and surprised to see that, and I said, oh, this this is only one fuse box. The vehicle should have two. And I've seen vehicles with three and four fuse boxes. You know, there's nothing simple about fuses anymore. It's not, oh, just plug a fuse in. Good. You tell me which one out of the 400 possible, and I'll plug it in. All right? So I went through fuses. Fuses were all good. I I got down to, gee, do I have power coming down to the cigarette lighter? Because I wanted to fix that first. Do I have power coming down to the cigarette lighter in the back at the base of the console? So, you know, before I went further, I looked at the wiring and I traced it and it came down. There's what they call an IP2 connector in the right side kick panel. It sits in the right wheel well, kind of in the area where your foot would lay. And that is the power distribution point where it comes in from the front off the power distribution center, comes down the A-pillar, sneaks under the carpet and gets over to the cigarette lighter over in the center console. Gee, you know, should I go over here? You know, there's there's been documented cases where if the sunroof leaks water, if the carpet is wet, that connector gets wet and it creates all sort of electrical issues. But the carpet was dry. So I went the other way. I pulled the side strip off the console and shoved my hand up behind the console, felt the connector at the cigarette lighter while watching my plug-in tool to see if I would have power. And as soon as I wiggled the connector at the cigarette lighter, boom. Power came up. I now had power and ground at that. And the cigarette lighter worked. I was able to get that to charge. The USB cables were a little bit more involved. The USB connectors, C and A, were my focus because she didn't use the large data transfer like a memory card slot. She didn't use that and she wasn't too worried about it. And what I discovered was in looking at wiring, those two USB ports go directly through and to the radio. So they have to be connected that way. They didn't. They don't work. So now, you know, I talked to Meredith and she said, you know, she said, you've gotten me three quarters of the way there. I said, well, the next step is I'd have to take the radio out and see how it's wired. And I pulled the faceplate off. You know, I, I <laughs> it's, it's, it's really amazing. You, you know, you've got to work on these cars as if somebody is going to see it because somebody did see it. And I saw the wiring mess, how things were just sort of shoved in there very unneatly, very unprofessionally, without any care or concern. And I explained that to her and I said, you know, it's working. Do you want me to go further? I'll have to unwire the radio and wire it back and make it neat and no. So we kind of stopped. It's you know, she had she had warp drive, she wasn't interested in impulse power. She had a charge port, she had the data ports to the rear. She emailed the guy that did the radio. And this is the best story. This is the best part of the story. She emailed the guy that did the radio, and he said, well, that USB and USC port shouldn't work anyway because I disconnected them when I did the radio. And the one that should work is the black cable coming off the side that's hanging down to the right, which there was a USB-A receptacle cable just dangling off the right side, which I took and put up under the console, and I actually put it into a way that she could use it through the center console now, not have to reach around. And she said, why? She asked me, Meredith said to me, she said, why is you know, why is this like this? She said, why, what happened and and to what? And I said, you know, the problem is it was done badly. It was done badly and it's it's done wrong. I can't communicate with the radio. The radio is now eliminated from the diagnostic and I have to work around that. And the only way I can do this is by pin testing individual wires, power and grounds and signal at the base or at the back of the radio. And I come back to my original opening comment with you that radios are just an integral part of the vehicle today. And I'm not saying you can never get an aftermarket radio ever again. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it has to be installed correctly. And when you go to purchase it, you've got to ask how will this affect the functionality of the rest of the vehicle? And is it going to affect the functionality? This vehicle is pretty simple. This is a 2016. I think about Two or three model years later when ADOS, when automated automatic driver assist systems are involved, and the radio is an essential part of that network as well, you know, what's going to happen to the aftermarket radio industry? Are they going to be limited in the vehicles they can go in? Is it going to be aftermarket radios for older cars but not newer cars? It's it's an interesting conversation to, to have in your head and to think about and to talk about. In the end, Meredith got her radio. She got her charging port. She got her USB cables in the back. She got everything but her USB-A up front under the radio working. And that's where it's going to stay for now. She's got enough to make her happy. And she was very thrilled for that. And she was kind of surprised to hear that the ports weren't supposed to be working. And the radio guy was kind of surprised to hear that they were. And I said, you know, sometimes when you get involved in auto repair, it's it's it's, it's what you don't know that's going to hurt you. It's, and, and you don't know what you know until you get there. Um, I always think of what Stevie Etherton from Opus always says. You don't know what you don't know, and it's the absolute truth. Be careful what you do with your radios. And if you do have them changed, ask ahead. Hey, is, is this going to affect anything else? See what kind of answer you get, and it may make you double think the question. I'm Ronan Annie in the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Don't go away.
3: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip.
4: Number handy, 855-560-9900. For when you really need advice on your car. Here's Robert.
6: Hey, let's get over to Pennsylvania and welcome Brian back and see what's going on with this O nine 9 Ref 4. Brian, where do we stand this week? Welcome back.
7: Um, you asked me to make sure the blower motor worked. It and it works. Um the center console, where he where you do all your it's not manual, it's all Digital controls there, okay. And there's no power to that, and the blower motor works. Um,
6: The blower the blower motor works when
7: your brother-in-law seems to think it's going to be this five by five inch square box that's down by the gas pedal an AC amplifier module, but okay, we I don't I don't know how to check that. Well, and it's very specific. It has to be color coded orange and it has to have specific numbers on it for it to work. And tried to find one, but couldn't find one.
6: Right. Before we go that route, so when you're saying the blower motor works, you applied power and ground to the blower motor and it turns on?
7: Um, I know he checked it with the meter.
6: Okay, did he actually hear the blower motor run? I don't know. I didn't ask him that. Okay. I want to hear the blower motor run. I listen okay. I'm I'm doing a I'm doing a third party diagnosis on a radio show right. from three states away. I know. I I I want specific Sorry. things. <laughs> I don't want to make I listen, I just don't want to make the smoke come out, you know? There's smoke in every electronic component and I want to be the guy that gets you to bring it out. Okay? Um, and this is this this was a four cylinder or a six cylinder? Um and this is an automatic AC system, not a manual AC system. Correct. Okay. Does he own a, yep, sc- does, a does he own a scan tool? Um, I think so. Okay. So if he can go in by year, make, and model, and it's a halfway decent tool. He should be able to look at and see um, inputs. You know. What is there a request for a blower? Is there a request for AC? He should be able to see command. AC amplifiers are not an uncommon failure. They're not the most common failure in the world. Resistors generally go bad before that. So I'd want to go through the resistor block. And hopefully he's doing this with a wiring diagram. He's got a wiring diagram in front of him, Brian, when he's doing this? Or we're just poking and hoping?
7: I'll be with him the next time here. So i I'll
6: check. All right. If you guys need a wiring I'm diagram, sure he, if you need a wiring I'm diagram, sure shoot it
7: a wiring diagram, All right.
6: Sh- shoot me an email. Send me the 17-digit VIN of the vehicle, okay. ron at, at com, and I'll be glad to send you a wiring diagram so we're all on the same page. Okay. All right. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just very fussy when it comes to diagnosing I electrical. I, I, I want to know exact things. All right. There's there's this one little thing, and that that's what it was. Right. You know? Yeah. It's it's <laughs> you know. So just because. Listen, I can put a meter. It's I, a limited
7: edition all-wheel drive. So yeah. It, it's it's
6: probably automatic. It's probably an automatic AC, and it's probably a V6. I can't tell you how many times in my career, in the early stages, until I learned the lesson, I'd hook a meter up to something, and the meter would power up. All right, but yet it was a bad signal because I don't, you know, I, I can have the conversation with you if it's a 16 strand wire and 15 strands of copper are broken, am I going to see voltage on the meter? Sure am. Right? But I'm not going I'm not going to yeah. flow any I'm not going to flow any current. So, you know, I want to test that blower motor a couple of different ways. It, you know, I want to know, did we just turn it on and and did we apply power to the blower motor, power and ground? Did we apply power? Did we verify ground? Uh, you know, did we put a meter across the point of contact where the blower motor connects and he saw power on the meter, but, you know, n- nothing else? I-, I got a bunch of questions. So, but uh, okay. like I said, you send me, you send me the VIN, ron at com. Just remind me who you are and I'll be glad to find your wiring diagram and email it to you to give you guys something to look at. All right.
7: Okay. You were talking about like a couple of different fuse boxes would Would that show us how many fuse boxes there are on there oh yeah, he said he checked all the modules and fuses
6: but right maybe well a
7: fuse,
6: and 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 i'm not knock, boxed. I, I'm not knocking him if no. he's if he's doing this without a wiring diagram, he's a braver man than me I, <laughs> I you know I believe me you know it's 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 i'm down to the point now when I was working on that jeep, and they told me that I think it was fuse one o three powered the u s b it powered the cigarette lighter the one that I was able to get to work. I wasn't happy until I pulled that fuse out and checked for power, saw it was gone, put the fuse back in, saw the power was there, proving my wiring diagram was right for the vehicle. Because Just because they say, hey, here's the one for this vehicle, it's not right until you prove it. And I've run across that a half a dozen times in my lifetime. So, Brian, call me. Let me know when you need more. We'll kind of take it from there. 855-560-9900. Ron any Andy, the car doctor. We are back right after this. Don't go away. any of the car doctor eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero Brian again different Brian Brian Ohio not Brian Pennsylvania Brian Ohio <laughs> how are you Brian welcome to the car doctor <laughs> what's going on?
4: Well, day hey, how's you going? So
6: Good, sir. Good, sir. What can I do for you? Well,
4: you were talking last week about our electrical grid and having stresses on it as we start to evolve towards pure EV vehicles. Um, I'm starting up a set of solar farms and starting to run across some of the bumps in the road and anybody starting up a type of energy company like that is going to have to do more creativity. Um, Actually, one of the things you run across is the lobbyists are nudging farmers along and you hear them complain about wasting um, farm space. And I actually kind of agree with that a little bit. Um, One of the things we're looking at doing is we're looking at putting things underneath our buildings, um, warehouses, offices, apartments, vertical farms, but that allows you to sell directly underneath. Then you don't have to deal with another big obstacle. Try to connect to the grid and the del- deliberate delays that are set up to take years, <laughs> quite a few years of increasing, to get attached to it. So what we're doing is we're buying a, uh, a gently used solar farm from company that expanded their warehouse into their field. So they had to upgrade their stuff, and we got theirs for a decent price tag. We're currently rounding up investors right now. So you're going to run across more folks like us. We're, you mind if I toss a quick web out?
6: No, go ahead. All
4: right. let Once again, that's 5XROYSolarFarm.com. We're looking to give investors, you know, this is our first project. We're looking to do multiple solar farms, and we're looking to start an EV company as we run this along. So we're giving investors a nice little strong punch to get going. And for them to be interested in working with us on future projects, and that's the type of creativity is going to be needed to create more solar farms like this across the U.S. I mean, we need a lot of competition because we're going to be eating up a lot of power and stressing the grid. And if we don't put it up on smaller grids and alternatives, we are going to look at some major problems. I mean, we've looked at infrastructure problems like our bridges eroding out from underneath us in bad ways. Um, our electrical
6: grid. Brian, are you there? Yep,
4: still Brian. here.
6: Oh, yeah. Okay. No, you cut out. Um, so let me ask you this question. You're 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 getting into this. Uh, you know, as as a solar farmer, do you have do you have the numbers on what do they expect? How many how many is it acres or output of solar farm? How much do we need for the projected EV uh, uh, population we're supposed to have? In 12 years
4: that that is an ugly number that really needs to be looked at more seriously because you know you're trying to look at realistic production numbers and of course every area in the u.s. is going to have its different amount of shadiness and you're going to have different efficiency off the panels thankfully there is a major increases popping up so you're seeing some things that are going to make make it more cost-effective but just like everything else The more research and generation that goes along, I mean, look at cell phones. The more they've been going along in mass production, they've been able to tinker more in morale of them the battery life has been phenomenal for the increase sure but in all, so we're in, going to see in the all same thing happen in all for, fairness
6: cell phones have ahead. been around since the mid-80s right that's 40 years ago <laughs> you know they're, they're they're talking the ev revolution is going to happen in 12 years
4: we can kind of say the same thing with solar y-
6: y- you know um, so let me ask oh, you this question yeah, so what you're saying is so solar farms are you're turning farms that produce food into solar farms or they're working together and doing the same mm-hmm. thing
4: well, I'm looking at abandoned land and abandoned land for sale, um, and then converting it back over into active use, not just for the farms, but putting things underneath it so you can actually put jobs back out. Because, when you say you know, when you say things you underneath
6: to, it, things underneath what? Underneath the panels or underneath the? I lost you there. Yeah, underneath
4: think, the panels. Under, like what? The farm itself. So if you're looking at apartments, warehouses, manufacturing, actual vertical farms. I mean, you can put about anything underneath. You just need to make sure your structure can support the load and the wind that knocks it around at the same time.
6: Gotcha. How's availability of material to build a solar panel?
4: Brian? Right now, it's a, it's a extreme irony that for one of the most populous elements we have, we don't have a lot of purification, and that's one of the things we're looking to jump into as well, because it's not major rocket science. It's some chemistry that's got a lot of evolution in it, and got a room for a lot of room for things that have not really been tried very much.
6: So wait a minute, are you saying? So so so, in other words, if you wanted to, I don't know, how big is your solar farm going to be? Let me ask the question this way: How many acres? Uh,
4: our phase one is 1,400 panels. Okay. It's not that giant, but it's so, not that small. So, so, so 1,400.
6: 1,000 will produce how much? I'm sorry.
4: 200 kilowatts.
6: All right. And that will power how many vehicles?
4: That's a good question because, you know, all the vehicles are in charge at different times. And, hmm. But the, the point of it is that we need to spread this out and spread out the. The impact on the overall grid and the more we spread this out across the United States, the better off all of us are. Well,
6: my question is, so I go go back to my original question. Listen, I'm not trying. I'm not knocking what you're doing. I understand what you're doing. I'm just trying to add the numbers up. All right. I I, I, I have no emotion or skin in this game. All right. Because I think that if science can take over and make EVs work great, if they can't, I think we're wasting our time. And, and that's all I'm trying to look oh, at. If, 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 you, if you wanted to go out and build your solar farm today, how long would it take and what's the projected cost? Can you get the material you oh. need to build those panels? And you're just one farm. And then ex- yep. ex- extrapolate that over how many thousands of farms do we need and what is the percentage of electricity they're going to produce to offset the demand of EVs. And those are the numbers I want to know. If I was investing, Brian, that'd be the Uh, first question I'd ask you.
4: The joking comment I've heard over the years is that if you covered most of Iowa, that would cover the entire United States. But there has been major increases in solar panel efficiency. Right. So we're looking at shrinking that need. Um, I will be very honest that I've been cranking more numbers for getting the business started and running than I have for it. But that is a good number that, that I do need to put in my head for how many vehicles we can cover over our time frame well vehicles um, or,
6: or electricity in general listen right now the grid you know look i i live here too and my observation is the electrical grid in so many states texas and a few others among them california there's not enough electric grid to cover what they've got now with the heat load demands for ac and and so forth and severe weather and summer weather How are we going to add? And I can't get an answer from anybody. I'm not picking on you or anybody else. But, you know, this is like saying, hey, I want to be 17 again. Great. You know, show me the math. Show me how it's going to work. And nobody can, you know.
4: Um, So what particular question are you trying to get out again?
6: uh, Just with regards to what's the kilowatt hours of your farm going to be? Can I get material? What's the cost for that? And then what's the cost of that? And then we're going to go. All right. Have we talked about nuclear? Right. And what's wrong with the nuclear power plant equation? And that's—I
4: would love nuclear to be more on point, but unfortunately, we've had government and companies allowed to get very sloppy with things. Um, if you look at Paducah, Kentucky, they got really, really sloppy with worker protection. Um, if you go along the Ohio Valley, Ohio River Valley, you, there's just so much pollution from the nuclear industry that we need a lot more oversight. Like uh, Zimmer was one power plant that was being permitted in Cincinnati, as well as Marble Hill further down the river in Indiana. Both of those had undocumented welds, undocumented work. It got sloppy. They started uh, watering down concrete and misspecking steel. Both those plants and many more, there's like 40 of those across the United States that were never spun up because they were just they allowed corruption to kill the projects. Let me ask you, let me so ask you this question. we Chris, need actual right? oversight.
6: Well, right. Now, do you think that oversight should come from the government or from an outside company?
4: Come, both. I think it has to be government and civilian review.
6: We got to leave it there, Brian. Listen, I enjoyed our, I enjoyed this talk. You call me back. We'll do a full-length interview. How's that?
4: Sounds like a good plan.
6: Anytime, brother. Good luck in your endeavor.
3: You're very welcome. I'm Ron and Andy in and the car, doctor. We're back right after this.
6: On the the car, doctor, let's get over to David in Maine. David, 15 Chevy Silverado pickup. What's going on, David? How can I help? Yes. Yes, sir.
5: Good. How are you?
6: Good. What's going on?
5: Well, I get this noise in my rear end of my truck, and nobody can seem to figure out what it is. Um, one guy says it's my rear end that can't be fixed. Another mechanic says it's your rear wheels that can be fixed. Somebody else says it's my Sharks. I had my Sharks checked out, and they said there was nothing wrong with them. But I got 34,000 miles on this uh, 13 Silverado. It's in excellent shape. I like it.
1: Four-wheel
6: drive? But
5: the noise is driving me crazy. Four-wheel
6: drive, David? Every time I go
5: around a corner or take a little dip or something like this, I hear this clunk, 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 clunk.
6: Four-wheel drive, David? So, Is it a four-wheel drive? Yes. Okay. Um, so is this, are, are you more likely to hear this, uh, going slow, you know, down the road, seven, eight, nope. eight 10 miles an hour, or is nope. this 35, 40 nope. miles an hour only hitting bumps?
5: Uh, once in a while a bump, but it's mostly when I turn a corner and, and, uh, uh, I mean, a shop corner, like uh, when I come into my driveway, I got a little, thank you, mom, because of, of the uh, ditch, which is tied, but, but when I do that, come into my driveway, I gotta turn and go over this little hump, and I always get that clunk, clunk, and it's been going on for a long time. And
6: um, what's, a long, what's a long time, David? I have a good memory, so. Oh, two,
5: five or six years.
6: Okay, so it's been going on almost you know, since when it I was new. No, I first
5: got the truck, I, nothing. Right. After three, four years, I started to hear this, and I took it back to the Chevrolet dealership, and they didn't have a clue what the hell it was. Right. And um, it's just got worse and worse and worse. It, it, it don't seem to bother or anything, but I get this noise. Uh, now I'm getting it once in a while when I come to a stop.
6: Okay.
7: I'll
5: hear this noise.
6: All right. I'm, w- I'm wondering, well... I thought... Go ahead. What's that? Um, you know, there is a there is a campaign going on for clunking noises from the rear of the vehicle with regards to the leaf springs. Has anybody talked to you about that?
5: Yes. Yes, they have. I've had the leaf springs checked out. They said they were all right.
6: Well... But
5: that did... was three, four years ago, but uh, nothing's changed.
6: Well, when... Uh, when know, they... I had the
5: noise for then I got the noise now, but... Um, yeah, I knew there was uh, an issue going on with the leaf springs, so I okay. have them checked out.
6: When they, when you say they, they were checked out, David, back. listen to me because I've only got two minutes. When, when they, when What's you that? say, when you say it was checked out, what did they do? Did they look at them? Did they follow the bulletin? Has anybody actually read the bulletin? No, oh, ch- I, I
5: don't know. I took it into the dealership, and
6: they just right. told me. right because you can you can look at right. the leaf springs all day long. They don't look bad. They don't look wrong. It's a, it's a matter of retorking and reseating the clamp bolts of the rear end against the leaf spring. If they don't follow the bulletin just looking at it, you'll never see it. All right. It's this is uh-huh. it's it's a minute detail. Do you got a pencil and paper? Yes. Okay. I'm going to give you a bulletin number. I want you to get your hands on this bulletin, read it, and then make the dealer read it and follow it. All right. Let's eliminate right. let's eliminate something. Bulletin number 09-03-09. Dash double zero one G is in George. Clunking noise rear of vehicle from Leaf Spring Bolts. And they talk about retorking okay. the rear 09, leaf spring. 03,
5: 09,
6: 001, one G. Double du- O oh, one G. One. G.
5: 001, okay. G.
6: okay. G. G. G as in George.
5: Oh G is in George. Yes,
6: All sir. Right. All right. Okay. Let's follow that and let's see what yep. that does for you. The other possibility, you know, right. I would I would go through body mounts, I would go through I would go through where the uh, bed sits on the frame, just making sure the bolts are tight. It, it it amazes me and floors me how guys will look for something so obvious. They're not. They're looking for a pimple on a fly's butt in some cases. And the last thing I want to mention is Is it possible the rear end oil And I don't think it's going to be this But I just want to mention it Is it possible the rear axle oil Was contaminated from water It's not working properly And it's causing something in the rear to chatter Just food for thought But I would start with looking at those leaf springs Making sure that bulletin is done Tell me what's good I'll tell you what's bad Call me back, let me know what happens I'm Ron and the car doctor I'll be back right after this
3: From BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
6: Welcome back. Ron Name the Car doc. Let's do an email from Aaron. Ron, I've got a 2021 F-550 Ford truck with a 6.7 power stroke. It just turned 36,135 miles. You know, Aaron, that kind of scares me. It's 135 miles out of warranty. I bet this is gonna be a doozy. Over the past six months, the fan clutch has increasingly been cycling on for longer and longer periods of time. The first time I called the dealership about it, it was two minutes on, two minutes off. There was no service engine light on on the dash. They found no codes or bulletins. The second time, about three weeks ago, the cycling has become four to five minutes on and 30 to 50 seconds off. This last week, I did a 45-minute run down the highway at 65, 70-degree outside temp, and the fan clutch never disengaged. The dealership says it's the clutch. I'm saying it's either a sensor or a computer. What do you think, and how do I hold the technician's hand and point them in the right direction for a proper diagnosis? I don't know that you need to, Aaron. (laughs) Uh, as far as I'm concerned, and I think this problem's been going on for a while, I think this is the email I saw where you were describing this, or no, this was the phone call that I didn't get today. Um, this problem's been going on. This started under warranty. So, your question to them is will a fan clutch fix it? And if a fan clutch doesn't fix it, then what are you going to do? And where are you going to look? That is an electro viscous fan coupling. All right. They look at fan speed sensor, they look at engine temperature, and then the computer provides a pulse width, a varied voltage signal to apply and turn the fan clutch on to allow that vehicle to operate. I think the only way you can hold that technician's hand is to ask him, how does it work? And he can get that information clearly out of Ford. I could find that information if I had to. But just be aware that it's all there. I'm Ron in The Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless to you.